Pharmaceutical Technology presents the Drug Solutions Podcast, where the editors will chat with industry experts from across the pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical supply chain. Join us as experts share insights into your biggest questions, from the technologies to strategies to regulations related to the development and manufacture of drug products. This is the Drug Solutions Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast. Today's instalment will focus on biologic drug development and manufacturing. I'm Felicity Thomas, Senior Editor Europe for Pharmaceutical Technology, Pharmaceutical Technology Europe and Biopharm International. In this episode, I will be speaking with Hans Christian Mahler, who is CEO and board member of 1023 Health and Andrea Almendinger, who's the Chief Scientific Officer of 1023 Health, which is a contract development and manufacturing organisation dedicated to human-centric and sustainable pharmaceutical development. Hans Christian holds a PhD in toxicology from the Institute of Pharmacy at the University of Mainz and is an adjunct faculty member and lecturer at the Universities of Frankfurt and Basel. He previously worked for Lonza, Roche and Merck and currently serves on the boards of Bionta and Crea Bio. Hans Christian is also an editor for several pharmaceutical journals. Andrea joined 1023 Health in November 2021 and was previously a principal scientist for pharmaceutical development at Roche. She is an adjunct professor and group leader at the University of Freiburg, where she is researching novel parenteral drug formulations and device solutions to improve stability, usability and cost of goods. Andrea studied pharmacy at the University of Heidelberg and the University College London in the UK. She holds a PhD in pharmaceutical sciences from the University of Basel, Switzerland, and she also serves as the editor-in-chief for the AAPS Open Journal. For our discussion, Hans Christian, Andrea and I delve into some of the hurdles facing developers and manufacturers of biological therapies. We take a closer look at some of the solutions being used within the industry to overcome these challenges and focus on the issue of sustainability within this sphere. Finally, we touch upon some of the other potential future trends that may impact biologic drug development and manufacturing. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Given the growth that's been seen within the field of biologics and advanced therapeutics, such as cell and gene therapies, could you provide a brief overview of some of the key hurdles in relation to the development and manufacture of these complex drugs that are either being tackled or those that need to be tackled by the industry? Thank, thank you for the question. And um, Andrea, if you allow, I'll probably take this one. Um, so, uh, well, first of all, I think most of the modern um, therapies and uh, both on the biologic side, but also the cell and gene therapy products, as well as oligonucleotides all required to be injected or infused, um, which is obviously a key difference to traditional small molecules, which to the most part have been orally dosed. Having said that, there's also quite some key differences between even um, biologics and cell and gene therapy, for example, where I would say nowadays, um, products like monoclonal antibodies are pretty commoditized 
yet if you have more novel formats in the biologic space, they may have specific challenges in the assessments of, for example, cr critical quality attributes to really link uh, molecular features to, to, to efficacy and safety um, mode of action elements. Um, these um, novel formats may be more difficult to produce uh, when it comes to the to the protein, um, so the drug substance itself. They may be quite providing some some stability challenge uh, related to um, to the formulation, so they require more thorough look on the formulation development side. They may be difficult to produce from on the drug product side as well, and uh, they may be difficult to administer. Um, and when it comes to emerging uh, products like cell and gene therapies, um, I think these are more or less to me like monoclonal antibodies probably in the 1980s where um, CQAs and, and critical process parameters are probably not as well understood. Analytical methods are not as comprehensive when it comes to um, the ability to characterize, very difficult to produce um, and scale. And um, here, I think it's even more 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 considerable that that uh, companies often don't think at all about formulations of of cell and gene products, uh, rather than um, just using something they've used before and and freeze it down in in DMSO containing um, formulations and also traditional contamination controls and. Uh, as as done for other parenteral injectables are poorly applicable. So if you think of sterility testing or particular testing that comes with specific challenges for for these products. So you you've listed quite a few challenges that are, you know pertain to these very complex therapeutics as well in in your first answer. Could you highlight specific solutions that are being employed? to you know help the industry overcome the challenges associated with the development and manufacture of these complex therapeutics yeah let let me take that uh, question and as Christian just mentioned I mean we have to differentiate between those molecule formats which have been around for decades such as the monoclonal antibodies and those new modalities which are lately entering um, the development uh, pipeline and in the market, such as cell therapeutics. So let me maybe start with the first group, and I'm counting in here on only antibodies, um, but also associated formats such as bi-specific antibodies, antibody drug conjugates, as just mentioned, or also antibody fragments. Um, I mean, all together still being the biggest proportion of molecules in the development pipelines of the pharma companies. So in principle, from a technical perspective, um, the unit operations for, for manufacturing and uh, also the technical development roadmap per se um, are the same or highly similar um, for the molecules um, that uh, compared to the molecules that have already been launched although their development might, might differ in the complexity, as mentioned, for example, during drug substance manufacturing development or also from a drug product perspective with the challenge to, to best stabilize the molecule. And uh, the strategy to address associated challenges for those um, uh, yeah, known molecule formats must be to use prior knowledge and especially using platform approaches um, to best uh, and most efficiently um, uh, or to, to to be most efficient in development timelines and, and development costs. And platform approaches basically mean, and um, I'm referring here as an example to drug product development, that we are using formulation compositions, for example, which have been proven in the past to be successful for a variety of molecules, 
um, with, for example, similar molecular properties, um, or to name uh, another example, primary packaging configurations, which have been demonstrated to be compatible with a variety of biological formulations. And um, platform approaches, I mean, they build on existing knowledge and experience and, and offer kind of a resource conscious and fast way to approach technical development, especially in the early stages of, of development. And um, as a result, to stick with the example, um, there is no need to screen hundreds of formulations, but only basically a few using the, the prior knowledge. Um, yeah, and of course, the use of the platform approaches is only possible because the field of antibody development is quite matured and the wide ex expertise has been built during the recent decades and yeah, is also available in, 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 in published scientific literature reports. Um, for new modalities, um, to kind of come to the second group, uh, the strategy is different, but, but similar. So what I mean is that from a technical standpoint, um, we always seek to find similarities and build on existing knowledge. However, we also have to identify those challenges where we have to think outside of the box and develop new approaches. Um, yeah, which in many cases then have to be, be discussed with health authorities upfront because no guidelines are basically existing. And uh, typically, I mean, scientific best practices are guiding this way, meaning performing the right scientific experiments with adequate analytical methods. And in many cases, we do not have to reinvent the wheel, but we need to have a thorough look into scientific literature, literature and yeah, basically putting published information um, into a new context. And in, in general, I mean, independent on, on which molecule format we are talking about, um, there is one overarching strategy based on our experience um, that will basically lead to the successful launch of a product. And this is to um, holistically approach technical development, which means that um, clear development paths should be defined. So from design of the molecule to the final um, product presentation, and especially considering um, the intended use uh, by the patient or the healthcare professional. And all disciplines must be involved, keeping a good overview of all small pieces of development, um, Yeah, which in the end then facilitates troubleshooting activities, um, enables yeah, highest flexibility and eventually also speed up timelines um, and reduces development costs. Moving on to um, a different aspect now, let's look at the sustainability concerns, which are obviously impacting many industries around the world, including the biopharmaceutical industry. With this in mind, could you describe some of the key sustainability considerations that are affecting biologic drug developers and manufacturers and the potential approaches that they could employ to be greener? Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'd be certainly thrilled to take that one because this is a, a topic that is really close to my 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 heart and to my passion and purpose. So maybe to start off with, um, uh, healthcare is, is, is currently responsible for for almost five percent of the global greenhouse gas emissions and that's per per dollar or swiss rank of revenue than actually more than the automotive sector now historically i think also where um, most uh, pharmaceutical companies came from saying i'm already focusing on good health and well-being 
being the sustainable development goal number three, uh, excusing themselves that it's okay to basically keep operations as it is. Having said that, legislation is coming up um, and or has been catching up. So that's actually great to hear that at least for larger companies that there becomes a more thorough requirements to you know measure uh, and report. And um, uh, having said that, uh, I, I do believe that that there should be an increase of consciousness and and willingness and ambition i think across the pharmaceutical sector and it goes goes along many areas so i mean the the world economic forum has has defined a couple of areas for example the the need to focus more on infectious disease healthcare access to to the global south um, and better use of medicines uh, one is the reduction of greenhouse gas and other emissions and as well as waste uh, collaboration with suppliers, including CDMOs, are specifically mentioned in the World Economic Forum recommendations, um, and innovation on, on renewable energy. Uh, what I what I truly believe is that it's going to be important to, you know, go beyond what is what is ultimately required and make sure that that industry is moving to a to a totally different level. Pharmaceutical uh, and and CDMO companies have most of their greenhouse gas emissions also in scope three, uh, which is um, to some to some extent uh, really depending on on supplier and partnership. So I think supplier collaboration, supplier identification based on sustainability, uh, which is also way beyond CO2 emissions, uh, brackets closed. So it's really looking at, at it from a holistic standpoint, making sure that there's, there's no uh, biodiversity impact, for example, of the customer uh, of the companies that you're working with, um, with the suppliers, etc. But there's also so many quick wins of what you can do in, internally in a, in, a, in, a, in a company. For example, any any company really can quite immediately change to 100% to renewable energy by just changing contracts with your energy suppliers. You can change uh, your paper and, and, and any printers if you have them uh, to um, certified uh, paper. It's it's probably avoiding printing at, at at all. So I mean, also when we set up 1023 Health, for example, it was pretty clear that we want to do uh, electronic signatures on on contracts and not not print out the paper. Or uh, this is where we moved also our um, you know formulation development, analytical method development labs into into basically um, uh, e lab. Uh, so uh, EL and electronic notes notebook kind of um, kind of solutions or in you know, our site we reduce to actually just having one printer to also nudge people to not print so don't make it too convenient to print it's about the retrofit and the design of your facilities it's about whether you think about uh, your light sources where do you have heat um, losses uh, it's about how to motivate your colleagues uh, and employees in the in in company to maybe act more sustainably. So um, avoiding car commutes. So the way we've been also approaching this is that um, uh, that we are, for example, subsidizing public transport as one of the employee benefits, or we are uh, offering in collaboration with a um, startup from Berlin called Klima. We're offering uh, for all our employees the ability to monitor their personal footprint uh, uh, in their personal life and then support them in you know being able to reduce their personal footprints um, and also offset their their personal footprint so to have a um, sustainability um, benefits um, and there's so many ways on on how you can embrace sustainability and i think 
fast forward a couple of years, I think it will be definitely a right to operate. Uh, right now, I think it's often perceived as a threat. Uh, to me, the most important thing on what you need to do nowadays, especially when, when running and starting a company, is to make sure that you recognize the responsibility that comes with, with running a business, um, especially in the pharma sector, that goes beyond ensuring to deliver quality, safe and effective medicines, which is obviously making sure that there's a benefit for society for the planet overall from the existence of your organization. And I could probably go in forever, uh, but um, uh, I, I definitely think that there's so many opportunities to do more. And um, also if there's other pharma companies or CDMOs would, would want to interact with me or us um, offline, happy to, because I also believe that discussions like that should be totally open source. So um, are there any other trends that you believe will be impactful as the biologic therapy field continues to mature? Yeah, maybe I can, I can take that question. So a major trend that we are actually currently seeing in the field of, of drug product development um, is the concept of product differentiation. So product differentiation means to, to put a patient at the center of, of technical development. So let me explain this a bit more in detail. Um, product differentiation means to incrementally improve an existing product configuration. So for example, in its product presentation, basically to the benefit of the patient, so to serve the needs of the, of the individual patient. And technically this means in many cases to modify the drug delivery system, um, considering different formulation options or changing the route of administration. Um, and and speci especially considering uh, ready-to-use formulation device combinations rather than supplying uh, the product in a conventional glass vial, um, which is in many cases intended for, for intravenous um, injection or infusion. Um, so, so why is this especially of importance for the patient? And, and let me take the example of switching from an intravenous infusion administered in a hospital setting versus subcutaneous injection administered in a home care setting, which is typically preferred by the patient. So for recurrent treatments, chronic diseases, or also cancer treatments. Um, subcutaneous administration, especially when combined with a ready-to-use injection device, enables the home treatment for certain indications. And um, as no further preparation of the product is needed, and the product can be injected I mean, can be either ejected by a healthcare professional or even self-administered by the patient, him or herself. So this offers a convenient and, and more flexible way of drug administration, thereby also reducing medication errors, um, increasing patient compliance and, and ultimately patient adherence um, to the therapeutic dosing uh, regimen. And overall, I mean, it significantly uh, improves the quality of life of the patients beside the obvious economic savings perceived by, by omitting the hospital setting. From a technical standpoint, so to enable subcutaneous administration, um, which is limited by its dosing volume of a, of a few milliliters, um, highly concentrated formulations are typically developed and Ideally, these are then combined with a ready-to-use injection device, such as a pre-filled syringe, an auto-injector, or an on-body device. Um, they all together are, are referred to as uh, combination products. Um, and, and let me close maybe this question with the observation 
that only a small proportion of all approved biopharmaceutical products are supplied as a combination product. Although, as just elaborated, the combination products greatly increase patient compliance. This is because the development of a combination product is accompanied by tremendous efforts in technical uh, device development or in general technical development, um, including significant time and cost investments, uh, device design, design verification, product-related stability studies, um, and also investments at the manufacturing, filling, or uh, assembly line. And I mean, it's it's still the top maxim of of product development to provide fast access to life saving medications uh, for the patient. And this is why advanced formulation device combinations are often developed as a life cycle option. Um, this, of course, offers additional market exclusivity um, for the pharmaceutical um, manufacturer in the end uh, at, at the same time. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you very much. If you are interested in this topic and would like to learn more, visit our websites at farmtech.com and biofarminternational.com, where you can find a veritable cornucopia of content, such as more podcasts, video interviews, and in-depth articles, as well as much, much more. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you to our editors and experts for sharing their insights. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Drug Solutions Podcast with the Pharmaceutical Technology Editors. If you want to stay in touch with the pharmaceutical technology team, subscribe to this podcast as well as to our e-newsletters. When you sign up for our newsletters, you will be updated about future episodes of Drug Solutions, receive our magazines, learn about upcoming webinars and hear about episodes of Drug Digest. Thanks to everyone for joining us for this episode of the Drug Solutions Podcast.